It's grace, not works, that encourages intercession for a friend who's turned away from the Lord. Pastor Ed Taylor explains. They turn their back on the Lord, and they're not with you anymore. And you even sit there sometimes with an empty seat just praying, Lord, fill this seat with my friend. I don't know what's happened, but if you you just looked at their works and their rejection and their rebellion, you'd give up on them. Forget it. They've turned their back on God. I'm going to a new friend. But that's not your heart, is it? Your heart is like grace. I, I see what they're doing. I understand what they're doing, but you know what, Lord? I want them here. I realize it's not by their works. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You The work of grace, it not only works in individuals on behalf of individuals, but also on a nation. We'll hear more about this exciting truth on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've come in our study of Romans to chapter 11. If you'll recall, last time we were together, we learned that God has not cast away his people. One reason that we began to consider is grace. Here with more is Pastor Ed. The next time you want to get someone, the next time you want to right some wrong, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You just let it go. Trust that God is going to bring it to pass and not stew on it and let it just stir up in you. And when you're praying for people, like you're mad at people right now, there are qualities in that person that you don't even see right now. You're blinded to them. You don't see them. And even if you did see them, you wouldn't. Because you're so bound up with anger and frustration. And Elijah, in his prayer, just like, hey, look, God God says, look, Elijah, you're wrong. Just just don't even go there. I got people there for you. I'll take care of you. I'll cover you. You don't see everything the way it is right now. God sees people in ways that you and I simply don't sometimes. He sees what he's doing, the work that's already taking place. And I pray that he'll redirect our hearts if we allow him. Back in Romans 11 now, let's pick up where we were in verse 5. As Paul is walking us through, he's answering the question, has God cast away his people Israel? And the answer is no, he hasn't. He uses himself as an example. He uses Elijah as an example. And now he uses the doctrine of grace as an example. Notice this, verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And we say, thank you, Paul. You very much cleared it up very well for us. (laughs) Oh, man. He does that a few times in his letters, doesn't he? It's like, whoa. Let me just simplify it for you. It's a contrast between grace and works. And he says that the remnant of Israel is saved not because of works, what you see, their rejection, that God has, has a plan for Israel in the future, not because they've rejected him, but because of grace. Because if it was because they rejected him, then indeed, if we were just looking at people by what they do, then we would make the same conclusions, wouldn't we? They could just give up on them. I mean, they're so hard and so rebellious. I mean, they have changed completely, haven't they? I mean, think of the person. Remember, maybe there's a person in your life that they were even here worshiping with you. You used to fight for airspace when you were raising your hands. And you'd be, oh, move over over here. I love you, Lord. And you guys would fight for airspace, but they're not here anymore because something happened. I don't know. 
they turn their back on the Lord and they're not with you anymore. And you even sit there sometimes with an empty seat just praying, Lord, fill this seat with my friend. Fill this seat. I, I, I don't know what's happened, but according to their works, you know, if you just looked at their works and their rejection and their rebellion, you'd give up on them. You'll forget it. They've, they've turned their back on God. I'm going to a new friend. But that's not your heart, is it? Your heart is like grace. I, I see what they're doing. I understand what they're doing. But you know what, Lord? I want them here. I realize it's not by their works. I realize that Israel, the plan that you have with Israel has never been or ever be because of their works. It's because you're, you're a God of grace. And because you're a God of grace, your plans with Israel, your promises to Israel will be fulfilled. It's not of works, but of grace. This remnant of Jewish believers are ones not keeping the law for salvation, but simply are under grace, not works. And I believe that God is looking for a people today, a group of people, for churches, for families, for pastors, for leaders that simply understand grace. That's been the entirety of our study in Romans. Remember, when we started this study, we titled it The Gospel According to Grace. And we've learned step after step and piece after piece this glorious doctrine of grace, this glorious truth of grace that comes to us and flows through us, that it's not of our works. We are saved by grace, not of anything that we have done. We're saved by the work that Jesus has done, his finished work. You know, it's not our powerful prayer lives that saves us, is it? Because what about the days you don't have a powerful prayer life? You have a little wimpy prayer life that day. What about those days? Are you still saved? Of course you are. Oh, no, Ed, I'm saved because I am Mr. Devotion Man. I mean, I do. I don't do one devotion. I've got 15 devotional books out on my table, and I go through all of them. I'm even late to work. I just got fired because I am Mr. Devotion. Is that why you're saved? No way. God would rather have you do one devotion and get to work on time and be a good witness. It's not our diligent devotions. It's not our powerful prayer. It's Jesus Christ, is it not? It's his work in your life. When you start to understand that, you begin to live it, then what happens to your prayer life is it becomes powerful. And your devotional life begins to explode into glorious areas where you are drawing near to Jesus, not because you have to, but because you get to, and you just so enjoy it. It's so wonderful. But that's not why we're saved. That's not why the remnant of Israel is saved. You can jot this down. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're studying through this on Wednesday nights. Listen. It says in verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. I love that. But notice now it's explained. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God's done all this work for you, Israel, because he loves you. Not because of your great work or anything that you have done, just because he's chosen you. So he says now, back in Romans chapter 11, he says, what then now? Verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks. And he's talking now nationally. Israel as a nation has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. 
Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. I say then, verse 11, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So here's the contrast. I want you to be careful here because chapter 11 contains a few passages that have stumbled believers for many, many, many centuries. And they look at this and they might cry, well, this is not fair. They're blinded by God and they can't see by God. They have no choice. But that's not the context. The context is a contrast between believing Israel and unbelieving Israel. And the contrast is to those that have rejected their Messiah and those that have received their Messiah. The remnant that believes and those who Paul says are blinded. And there's a balance. There are those that are blinded and their hearts are hardened nationally because of their rejection. And they don't see. It's the same thing that your life was when you were not a believer. You didn't see it either. Person after person after person after person was sent into your life and you just didn't get it. You didn't want to hear it. You didn't want anything to do with church or Jesus or the Bible or those Christians. And you had all the reasons why. You don't want anything to do it because you were blinded. You were blinded. Your whole family was blinded too because nobody, you were bringing into your home. They don't care. You don't care. They don't care. And there was this sense of blindness in your life. And yet there was that time, right, where God, he pricked your heart and you were a little curious. And so instead of pushing the person away, you said, well, talk to me about that a little bit. And then you call him back, talk to me about it. And you go to church. What church do you go? Well, come on. You know, I think I'll go with you next week. And then God, he lifted the blinders from your eyes and you see, and now you can see clearly now spiritual things. Why? Because you believed. In your unbelief, you're blinded. In your belief, you see. Isn't that that great? We get the picture in John's gospel where Jesus heals that guy that was blind, remember? And they come chasing, the religious rulers come chasing after him and they want to know, what's going on? Who healed you? And and I love his answer because he says, you know, he says something along a paraphrase. He says, you know, I I don't know who healed me. A guy over there healed me. I'm not sure. But this is what I know. This is what I know. I'll tell you what I know. I was blind. But now I see. And it was Jesus that brought that sight physically, even as Jesus now brings that sight spiritually in our lives. And so the contrast here is between the remnant, the believing Jew, and the nation, the rejecting Jew. And that's the contrast. Because those that turn to Jesus personally will not be blinded, Jew or Gentile. Let me show you this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we wind down today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Those that turn to Jesus personally, Jew and Gentile, will no longer be blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth, and he says, But even to this day, when Moses is read, that's referring to the Torah, First five books of the Old Testament. Even when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, let's read this together. The veil is taken away. And so you turn to Jesus Christ today, the veil will be taken away. Your sins will be forgiven, Jew and Gentile alike. That's the glorious good news. Back in Romans chapter 11, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit to see this truth. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. As Paul's quoting this important psalm in this section, Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm. And he's talking about this national blindness. But here in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, notice, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part 
has happened to Israel. And you want to circle this word. We'll get to it when we get to this verse. But this word is very, very important. It says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until. Very important word. And we'll get to it in depth when we get to verse 25 in future weeks. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And he will fulfill his promises. And that's what Paul's saying here. That the feasts and the things that were celebrated by the Jews were so glorious and so wonderful. They were so deep and rich in meaning. And it's pointing to the faithfulness of God. But the feasts and the celebrations not only pointed backward to the deliverance of God and all the work that he's done for Israel in the past, but the feasts pointed forward as pictures and types of the Messiah. And those of you that studied with us through Exodus, we went through those in depth, looking at how the feasts were pictures of Jesus Christ. And what happened is the feast just became just these rituals, just like Christians have rituals. That, you know, you could come here week after week and it can be absolutely empty to you. It's really where your heart is. I mean, you could be in the Bible every morning and really have no connection with Jesus Christ. You could even have prayer life. You could shoot up prayers and requests to God, but not even be connected to the Father because you have... Well, you have no faith in Jesus Christ. You could become very ritual in your approach to God. You could be very repetitive and your heart is far from him. And, and I think the Lord would be calling us back to our first love. That love that we have just with Jesus, the person of Jesus. Not ritualism and legalism, but grace and mercy and love and compassion. It's easy to begin, church. It's easy. Listen, it's easy to begin to trust in rituals and practices in our relationship with God. It's easy to get caught up in this world system and start bringing the world into the church so that when you come into a church setting, in a congregational setting, you can't tell the difference whether we're in a concert, are we in a world here, are we in a church setting? You know, is this really, are we really seeking God here? Or is, what, what is this? You know, you get all confused. We need to be careful. We need to be careful to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, both personally and as a church a church family. And so the question is, as he opens up the chapter, is God cast Israel aside? No, no way. Not at all. God has not cast Israel away and neither, listen, this is so cool, neither has he cast you aside. God's promises and faithfulness to Israel reminds me that you know what? He will never leave me or forsake me, never. And I have a bad day or a bad week in my life as I do from time to time. He's not gonna cast me away. They're like, oh, Ed, you're doing so well. But what a knucklehead you are today. I'm done with you. You know, I'm going to go find a non-knucklehead. I'm going to use him. I'm so glad that, you know, not only will he not cast me away, but he'll also send his spirit of conviction into my life so I can respond to it. I say, oh, Lord, I'm, I have this godly sorrow for this really bad decision, this sin I committed. I, I, want, I want to be washed and cleansed afresh and new. I just want to be reminded of your faithfulness that if I confess my sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive me and wash me, cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. You know, I might fall into that trap that Elijah fell into and start praying against people instead of for people. And I can just expect the Lord to say, no, no, Ed, no, uh no, 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 that's, that's not my heart. Remember, like I asked you to pray for a pastor's heart. Not the position of a pastor or the title of a pastor, just to have a heart of God. Like he said to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart. And so you can have the heart of God in your life. The pastor's heart, the shepherd's heart. And God, he's not going to cast Israel aside. Neither is he going to cast you aside. If you turn to Jesus, you turn to him today, you will be saved. 
That's what the Bible says. Look back at Romans chapter 10. It says in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not a future occurrence. That is, when you believe and you confess, you will be. That's the instant you're born again. You turn to Jesus, you believe. He says in verse 10, with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confessions made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. You will be saved, but... You can remain rebellious if you want. God has given you the choice. You can fight it. You can resist. It always amazes me why people resist. Where God offers you the forgiveness of your sins. And he's paid a high price by sending his only son, Jesus, the Messiah, to live a perfect life for you. You know that verse, right? John 3, 16, God so loved the world where you, apart from Jesus Christ, you're in the world. That's you. You could put your name there. He so loved you that he died for you. Not only did he live, but he died. And his death wasn't for nothing. It was to cover and to remove your sin, to pay the price for the judgment that lays over every human being. He took the judgment of God for sin, being sinless upon himself. He was beaten and scourged and then hung on a wooden cross, a horrific, torturous way to die. And you know, the attitude of the people in that day surely was, we got him. And they put him in the tomb and they sealed it and we're done. It's over. Another crazy guy coming through the land saying crazy things. But this guy wasn't crazy. He was right on. He was God in human flesh. Came to pay the price for your sin. And if you will turn from your sin today and turn to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved. There is a Bible word for that. You know, it's called repentance. It simply means to turn from your sin. And in turning from your sin, there's a corresponding turning to God and offering, well, giving yourself up and receiving his free gift of salvation through grace. And you give your life to him and he begins to live his life through you. The sin that so easily hinders you and hardens you can be forsaken and left behind, but you have to want to change. Listen to these. Just jot them down if you like. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and then you will find rest for your souls. He says, You can find that rest. I've offered you that rest, God says. But the people's response was, We're not walking in it. Rest. It reminds you of those familiar words of Jesus, doesn't it, in Matthew's gospel? where he stands and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, today, those of you that are here in front of me, those that you are watching in on the internet or down in the cafe or on the radio, are divided into two groups. Not Jew and Gentile, but believer and unbeliever. And do you know these verses, these calls to return to rest, to receive the rest of God, they go out to believer and unbeliever alike. So that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your heart and receive the Lord Jesus for your salvation. But if you're a believer 
and your burdens. You know, God doesn't design you to carry those burdens around. You can't, can you? It's just like crazy. Like, this is a burden life. I don't think I was intended to live this. You're right, you're not. So Jesus says, oh, so you've carried up all these burdens now. It's sort of like having a backpack, right, going through life. You start out the backpack really, really light, and there's nothing in it. But along the way, you start picking up these big rocks. And oh, I'll, take, I'll take this. I think I'll take the rock of worry. Roll with me everywhere I go. You pop it in your backpack. And I'll take the rock of just, you know, my flesh. I'll put it in my bag. Before you know it, you're not even able to walk. You're like, what's going on? Well, the Bible says to cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants to minister to your heart, church. He wants to save the unsaved. And he wants to encourage the saved. I love that about Jesus. And he wants us to keep in mind Israel as a picture of his faithfulness. Every time you hear Israel in the news, you read it in the newspaper, you see an email coming through, just remember, God's faithful. God's faithful. He's faithful. He's going to keep his promises with Israel. He's going to keep his promises to you. Because it's true, isn't there? There's such a great emphasis in our life on keeping promises. Even in the church, I'm going to be a promise keeper. Look, God doesn't want you to be a promise keeper. He wants you to focus in on who the promise giver is. As God gives the promises, he'll also give you the power to keep them. And the emphasis isn't on you and your works. The emphasis is on him and his work in your life. That little adjustment in your life will blow your mind as a Christian because you'll realize, you know, God really does love me and he really does care for me and he really does empower me and he really does help me. And you know, I really love God and I just want to give him more in my life. I want to give him this area, that area, that area, this area, that area. And before you know it, you're not praying against people anymore. (laughs) You're praying for them. Your heart just breaks for them even as we prayed for you. Pastor Ed Taylor encouraging us to be a promised believer, to cast all our burdens on the Lord and receive rest for our soul. Again, as you heard, we're praying for you, and we kindly ask you to pray for us here at Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, you mentioned the blindness of Israel nationally, and we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. So at the risk of stealing some of that thunder, when will Israel be saved? Will there be some national revival in the last days? Is it near? Well, Larry, that's a great question. We definitely don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but the question can be easily answered that God turns his attention once again nationally to the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation period, which we believe happens directly or begins directly after the rapture of the church. So we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And the last seven years of human history, the seven years that that are known as Jacob's trouble, the seven years that are known as the 70th week of Daniel, is where God will then turn his attention once again to the nation of Israel, and their eyes will be opened. Is it near? Are we in the last days? Yes, 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 yes. As a matter of fact, I've begun writing on this topic. I haven't done a lot of writing on this topic, but recently I've taken up some of the most common questions as it relates to Bible prophecy on my personal website at edtaylor.org. Things like, what does the Bible have to say about the Antichrist? What does the Bible have to say about the mark of the beast? Uh, How about this one? Uh, Because we've been in the midst of all of this difficulty, I asked and answered the question, is COVID-19 and the coronavirus God's judgment upon the United States? If those are compelling questions for you, I've begun to write on them uh, in in my website, edtaylor.org, edtaylor, make sure it's .org. But is it near? You bet. We are in the last days. 
and let us look up for our redemption draws near. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found by searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.